0: He tēnei nā te reo irirangi o First word that comes to mind is shagging. Bong. rooting
1: <laughs> Procreation. The ins and outs of sex. <laughs>
2: okay. uh, oh. bang. Bang. bang! What? Bang. <laughs> so it's called bang. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, bang. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Kia ora, welcome to Bang, I'm Melody Thomas and this episode is going to be a goodie. Before we get into the details though, I've got some news for Auckland fans. We're going to be recording an intimate live show at the Basement Theatre on July 10th. You can get tickets now at iticket.co.nz and there are only 60 available, so get yours as soon as you can. And if you miss out, send a letter of complaint to RNZ because if we get enough of them, we might be able to book more. And that goes for those of you in other cities and towns too. Road trip! Okay, let's talk about sex, babies. The title for this episode is All the Kids Are Going By. It's actually a line from a pretty problematic episode of Sex in the City that we're going to hear a bit more about later on, but it does introduce the subject of the episode pretty well. If you're about my age, that's 33, you probably grew up with the idea that there were three sexual orientations. Gay, straight and bisexual. Though back then there were also quite a few people who would say that bisexuality was either a phase or a cover story. But more and more we're hearing sexuality described as fluid. So what does that mean? Can a person be a little bit bi or mostly gay? Or is it more that sexuality is like a slippy slide where your position changes over the course of your life? Or is it even more complicated than that? Not too long ago the acronym LGBT was considered pretty inclusive, but it's since grown to include a Q, an I, an A and a plus. And the word queer, which was once a pretty horrible thing to call someone, is increasingly used as an easy and all-inclusive way for someone to identify themselves as a member of the rainbow community. In this episode, we're going to look at a couple of experiences that those who like to put things in tidy boxes would probably assign to the bisexual box. But as we'll soon see, things aren't always that straightforward. We're going to start with a man with a secret.
2: It's too threatening. You can't bring this out into the open.
3: And then a couple who are wrestling with similar issues, but they are doing it out in the open.
4: Nothing has blindsided me in this relationship. Whatever happens in the future, we'll deal with it.
3: Throughout the episode, we're also going to be joined by clinical psychologist and sex therapist Nick Bates, who you might remember from season one of Bang. But this time I've asked his daughter Lena, a future sex educator, along for the ride too. (laughs) This is a tad weird, but it's um, it's always nice to hear your voice, Dad. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: (laughs) As you know, in this podcast, we often broach subjects that are difficult to talk about, but this subject matter is maybe even more fraught than usual. You're also going to hear a little explicit language, so take care with how and with whom you decide to listen. Let's begin. The first interview that we're going to hear is with a listener who got in touch with me out of the blue over email, and he wanted to talk about something that he does, that he says that other men do too. Now this thing is something that I reckon a lot of us don't know about, because there's so much taboo around it that it's barely ever brought out into the open. This guy agreed to be interviewed, but for the first time since we started Bang, we were asked to take some extra steps to protect his identity. He was totally fine coming in to see me, and as you're about to hear, he was really open when we spoke, but he didn't want us using his real voice. So the interview you're about to hear was re-voiced by an actor. We haven't changed any of the words, and as much as possible, we've strived to keep his speaking style and his stresses intact.
2: The thing that I'm worried about is um, being respectful to the women that I've been seeing while I've had my fun on the side, you know. I've never cheated on any of my girlfriends with another woman, and it feels in a strange way like this is completely separate from my relationships because it's purely sexual, like there's never been any um, emotional connection. never felt an attraction to another man
3: this is Alex's story though of course that isn't his real name
2: it's an area which is not explored um, from the way that it looks to my side of the equation it looks like women aren't able to grasp the how men with sex is something that can be divorced from emotions. And so the women that I've discussed it with in the past or that the topic has come out, it's always been like, oh, they're gay. You know, they're kidding themselves. And it's almost like...
3: Like you're gay and waiting or like one day mm, you're going to come out and we'll be like, oh, we should have known all along.
2: Exactly. Mm. Mm, Exactly. And it's a threat to the relationship.
3: Have you, like, how long has this been a part of you?
2: Um, it's funny, because my, my actual, my earliest sexual memory is, like, three or four, and it was with another boy.
3: Mm. Mm. Of the same age, or a similar age, or? Same age. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then I went through puberty, I had the girlfriends, and then when I was about 16, I started to think about it again. Mm and then really from that point that i started thinking about it was inevitable that i was going to try it yeah and in my first few experiences it was like oh my god this is disgusting
3: disgusted with yourself
2: <laughs> oh no no just just with the whole act yeah
3: okay
2: like i've got my penis what do i need another one for you know i was your classic rugby playing teenage meathead boy you know and then to be having these mm. feelings of Wanting to have sex with other men, it was like, where does all that sit, you know, and everything?
3: Mm. So as a kid, did you wonder, like, am I gay? Like, was there a back and forth in your head? Because I imagine it must have been quite confusing.
2: Yeah, and there's no role, role models either. There's yeah. no one to look at and um, and say, okay, and, and I remember when I'm... Ian Roberts, he's, um, he's NRL's first openly gay player. Yeah. When he came out and all of the backlash that he took, it was really interesting because when I read his book, I was kind of like, am I like this guy? Mm. And he talked about having his posters on his walls of all the rug- rugby league players and then bouncing on his bed and mm. kissing the posters. And I was like, I'm not like that. That's mm. That's not like me. The posters that I kissed, or, or my fantasies when I was a young boy, were always the girls in my class, and I was never attracted to men. You know.
3: You're adamant that you are not gay. That potentially bisexuality is something, but it's not that clear cut because you haven't been emotionally attached to men.
2: Mm, mm. It's just boring, like dudes. I've been around my whole life, and that's part of the reason why I love women. It's because the difference is what's attractive. Yeah. Dudes are just like, well, they're boring, you know?
3: And so in your mind this is like a totally separate thing? It is. So if it's not like, you know, I fancy that dude on the rugby team, what f- what form is it taking? Like, is it like fantasy?
2: <sighs> what form does it take? Yeah. I think it's an urge, mm. a sexual animalistic Urge that's really base level yeah. that I can recognise in other men, which I can't recognise in women. It's maybe once every two or three months. Mm. I just get this just urge, get feeling, and yeah. yeah, and I just know when I get that when I get that feeling, that like the only way I can move past it is to act on it. It's the fever. Because my relationships with girls and then women have always been really slow building and you know we take each step together as we go and then we have sex mm. and so there's a real base of trust and openness. But with that side of my sexual feelings it's like, I need to hit this right now with somebody that I don't know and that it's a complete craving and then it's done. and it's over.
3: I got in touch with one of the therapists from last season just after you emailed me and said, you know, this guy says this is really common, is it really common? And he was like, yeah, well, it's pretty well known, like this is something that's talked about. And I have heard anecdotally as well from gay men that having sex with straight men is just one of the things that they sometimes do.
2: Hmm. There's this whole subculture out there going on right in front of everybody's faces that men that don't sleep with other men and women are going to be completely oblivious to. and Places to meet, um, you know, websites to visit that puts you within a vicinity of other men with similar interests. And there'll be people that you work with that'll just slip away at lunchtime, literally go and have sex, be back after lunch, and the people around them will be none the wiser. Oh, no. Because there are places literally within walking distance of here where men go to meet.
3: So through this, like through a lot of these interactions, you have maintained heterosexual, um, like long-term relationships and you haven't talked about it with those partners. That must weigh on you?
2: Well, what weighs on me is the danger I'm putting my partner in. Right or wrong, the emotional um, side of am I cheating on this woman Um, doesn't come into it.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't. But what I worry about is the physical danger, I'm putting her in. Like I have caught chlamydia in the past and it's like if you're going to sleep with other men, it's inevitable that sooner or later you're going to get that one guy that just happens to be carrying that at the time. I'm a lot more careful now, you know. Like I'm a lot more mindful of who I hook up with, where I hook up, you know, how I do it. Mm. But prior to that experience I was like as long as I'm not Having unprotected anal sex, I can hook up with, yeah, Yeah. I can hook up with whoever I want. Mm. So, you know, I had to go through the process of trying to explain myself. Mm. Um, One of the worst experiences of my life was telling my then partner that she needs to go and get herself checked because I've got a sexual disease.
3: How did you explain it?
2: I told her that I'd gone and had sex with another woman. Mm. I knew that me telling her that I sleep with another man, it wouldn't just ruin our relationship, but um, everything would be ruined. Maybe I'm underestimating her, but I feel like if she If she had known it was another man, that would have completely broken everything. There'd be no comeback from that. Mm -hmm. There's still so much social taboo about straight men or bi men that sleep with other men. I'll never forget that episode of Sex in the City, when one of the women, she slept with a guy, and then he told her when they were in bed, oh, I'm a bi guy, I've slept with other men before. And she went home and she thought about it, and thought about it, and thought about it, and told all of her friends.
4: He's a bisexual. The weird thing is, he was so open about it. Is that a problem? I mean, What kind of question is that, is oh. that a problem?
2: Of course it's a problem. That generation is all about sexual experimentation. All the kids
4: are going by. I'm not even sure bisexuality exists. I, I think it's just a, a layover on the way to gay town. Isn't
2: that- And that left an imprint on me, you know? Mm. Like, it's too threatening. You can't bring this out into the open.
3: I know that if I had something going on like this that I would... Want to have someone that I could be open with about it? Do I, you I, get do. That? I, I do.
2: I do want to do that, but I tend to talk with the guys that I hook up with. Uh, I ask them what their experiences are and Ooh. how do you cope in your relationship.
3: When do you talk to them? Like online? <laughs> Usually after
2: stuff? we've had sex. Oh my gosh.
3: So when you talk to these men, like, do some of them just tell you like they're in straight relationships too?
2: Oh, yeah, totally. It's like, oh, I'm married and this is just what I do. Because the guys that are trying to be discreet Want discretion from you Then there's this mutual understanding That Mm. look we're just here to fuck And then both of us are out And we both understand that Mm. And then the gay guys They're just My experiences with them Is they are so And I can only guess it's because They've had their own journey to go through Mm. And they're so warm and understanding They know not to test your boundaries Yeah They're like, this guy, he just wants to get off. I can totally understand what he's here for, and I'm not going to try anything on him.
3: Do you feel, um, do you feel like there's any shame, would you say, in you?
2: No. Sex is, you know, sex is sex. The shame that I feel is, uh, you know, that the women that I've been lucky enough to have relationships with, like, they love me and you know somebody gives themselves to you and that's where the shame is for me and it's not something I've been able to figure out. Mm.
3: So they give you everything and you don't return the favour?
2: Yeah I I mean I feel like I give them as much as I can Mm. but that small part that's mine I've never had the experience of being in a relationship where I've 100% given everything.
4: Mm.
2: That's something which I hope to be lucky enough to have one day, you know? Mm. It'll all depend on the woman and whether I believe this relationship is worth risking everything for, you know? Mm. Because putting that out there would definitely make the relationship really vulnerable. Yeah. So I'd I'd have to be like, oh, okay, this is a woman that I potentially want to spend the rest of my life with, so I have to put the whole relationship on the line to have the relationship I have with this particular individual.
3: But then some would say that by not divulging it, you're putting it on the line.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah.
3: I just feel like it's a real dangerous game to be playing, like you're going to hurt other people but you're also going to hurt yourself.
2: I, I make my bed and i got to accept it, you know. If there's fallout from my actions, there's no excuses, I can only exist now. And I do the best that I can in this moment. And if it means that there's consequences down the track, then I'll just have to deal with them.
3: heard me say that I'd gotten in touch with a therapist to ask how common this kind of thing is, and we're going to get into that now. If you were with us for season one of Bang, you might remember Nick Bates. He's a clinical psychologist, relationship and sex therapist, and he's based in Auckland. He actually practices alongside his partner of 38 years. Now imagine what it must have been like to be the child of parents like that. Of course, yeah, I'm not just his daughter. (laughs) This is Lena Bates. She's following in the footsteps of her parents, studying sociology and gender and sexuality studies at Victoria University. Basically,
5: things that adults did that were taboo, like that was my fantasy world when I was a kid. I wasn't into Harry Potter. I wasn't into dragons. I was into what adults did. And so you can imagine that sex was a big part of that. And luckily, I had parents who were willing to talk to me about it. I'm just really, really passionate about hopefully finding a way to facilitate the open dialogue that I had growing up with like, as many people as possible, basically. That's, the, that's my goal right now.
3: In a second we're going to talk about everything we just heard from Alex, but first I want to share a little more of Lena and Nick together, partly to give you an idea about how amazing and unusual their relationship is, but mostly because when we talk about the importance of an open dialogue about sex and relationships with our kids, we always come up against people saying that if you teach kids about sex, they'll go out and do it, and we can't bring one of those kids into the studio without asking if that was the case for them.
5: It hasn't been that way, um, and I speak maybe triggerly for both me and my brother. There's two of us. But speaking of myself, definitely, yeah, I I, I mean, I fuck, I don't care. I lost my virginity when I was 19. Very, you know, respect, respectable age by whatever standards. I had a couple of drunken hookups when I was, like, 16. That was because of insecurity, but I think because I had access to sex and sexuality... I wasn't in a huge rush. Like, I knew I was sexual on my own, so I had, like, fulfilling masturbation from a young age. So there wasn't this huge rush. And, yeah, anything I wanted answered, I could have answered. So, you know, I didn't need to go and find a different naked teenager to find out.
3: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I just <laughs> I just imagined myself talking about my practices of fulfilling <laughs> masturbation with, t- with my dad there. And I imagine everyone else out there is listening that to that too, just how casually that just gets thrown out I know. there in yeah, well, family. That, I mean,
1: if, if talking about sex is a normal thing in your family, then all those things just become part of it. If you don't see it as something weird or shameful or wrong or taboo or dangerous or scary, I mean parents and I mean Verity and I were no different you you, you you always think am I doing the right thing am I doing this the right way am I being careful am I being respectful am I is this age appropriate but you do that about I don't know bike riding or tree climbing or sleepovers or you know mm. there's, there's there's many many things that you have to think about am I you know, am I doing this right and, and talking about sex requires some thought but it's not any different
5: yeah You know, at the end of the day, you're going to probably make mistakes in your sex life like you make in your professional life, like you make in your friendships. People assume that that's automatically going to be a traumatic experience, but I find that if you can be open with someone you trust very quickly, it can really minimise that.
3: Amazing. I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking it too. We will get this pair back for more of this kind of conversation. Don't worry, I'm on it. But now let's get back to Alex. He just told us that as well as himself, he knows that there are other men in straight relationships sleeping with men, in secret, for fear of the repercussions. So I started by asking Nick how common that is.
1: The practice is, you know, as old as humanity. You know, across cultures, you know, throughout the world, um, where we have records, there are records of certainly of homosexual activity, but also of um, you know men who are ostensibly in you know heterosexual relationships. That's kind of their family, but they're having sex with with men. Now we don't quite know the cultural context of that. You know, when we go back into ancient history, because we don't have that detailed a record.
3: There's going to be people listening who think that. This man and any others who are participating in this kind of activity are killing themselves, and they're probably gay or at least bisexual. And what do you say to that?
1: I mean, I think it's really easy to judge other people, and you know, when you don't know their experience. So, you know, I would always caution against that. And speaking as somebody who works in the field of sexuality, I mean, I think the move away from you know, discrete boxes that we have to put our sexuality in as a as a really welcome one. Are we and, moving
3: away from boxes, or are there just more boxes? Uh,
1: well, I I certainly think the notion of fluidity um, and, and that that word is being used more and more. And then um, I'd say
5: queerness as well. Just because someone's queer, you don't actually know what other boxes they tick in that true. world. Like yeah,
3: it just like gives more them the freedom. All encompassing. Yeah. Mm.
1: I mean, people are doing things for all—you know—doing things sexually for all sorts of reasons and in all sorts of ways. And if you're the sort of person who needs things in boxes, you're going to put them in boxes. But you won't necessarily be accurately connecting with somebody else's experience.
3: Mm. So, when it comes to men like this who aren't gay but do have sex with other men, what do they say? Is, are some of the reasons for that?
1: I think that, from what I can read, there are a lot of—you know—straight men. Who are doing this for sexual gratification because it's really straightforward and easy, and they don't have to pay for it. And you know, it's very much about getting off. That's mm. what it's about. You know, um, other men will give you the kind of sex you want, and the whole no strings attacked You know, um I mean, was it Eric Jong? They had that whole notion of the zipless fuck. You know, but it's that kind of thing. There can be other things going on. There certainly can be. But I think you know people. People are going to want to look for other answers, and I think from what I can see, the majority—that's what it's about.
5: Listening to Alex, he's definitely seems to view women in a in a way a, a caring way, and you know he loves that they would give themselves to him and stuff like that. So I think even if perhaps there was a structure where he could go and have that exact same setup with a woman, he he probably couldn't separate that for him, even though all the conditions were the same, his socialisation is that he needs to be taking care of this person.
1: And, and that, that fits with his identity as being straight. Like he's attracted to women, he's into women as people but the way our society is structured and maybe as, as Lane is saying, his own internal beliefs mean the, the kind of sex that he gets with men, you know, he can't have with women.
3: It's really amazing when he talks about the way it comes over him, how it manifests. It's like this fever that he must act on, or and otherwise it will never go away.
1: I mean, I, I always sort of have questions about that that sort of hydraulic model of of sexuality in anybody, the sort of urge that must be uh, must be attended to, but. For people who identify as bisexual and who are in a monogamous relationship, you know, there's certain kinds of sexual experience that you get in a same-sex sexual encounter that you don't have with an opposite-sex partner. How important that is and whether you want to get into the whole issue of hiding a piece of yourself from your partner I think is a different thing.
3: So how is it that, I mean, you knew about it, but I was really surprised by this interview and anyone I've talked to about it has been pretty surprised as well. So how is it that we don't know that this is happening, you know, as this guy says, all around us within a, you know, however many kilometre radius of RNZ?
1: RNZ is definitely the epicentre. Um...
3: <laughs> it's not, I just want to put on the record that as far as I know, it's not, but who knows? <laughs> Sorry. There is a basement.
1: You know, you can't underestimate how powerful a force homophobia is in our culture. And whilst, you know, there has been great strides made, if you're a straight man, then, you know, being called gay or being associated as gay is enormously problematic. And I mean, I've certainly worked with couples where this has been an issue. And I mean, the women really, really struggle with it. And they, they, they really fear that their partner, you know, wants something other than them.
3: So you've worked with people who, where the man in a straight relationship might have sought out sex with other men. And, and
5: or even, it, e-
1: even looking at gay porn.
3: Right. Which is
5: interesting because I feel like it's quite socially acceptable for women to watch female gay
3: porn and male gay porn. Mm-hmm. Nick hasn't met Alex, so he doesn't want to speak directly to him. But he is happy to offer some advice generally to any men who find themselves in a similar situation.
1: Well, I think the first thing is your sexuality is ultimately nobody else's business but yours, and you're put together how you're put together and you make your way through your life your way, and that's okay as long as you're not hurting others and you know, as long as you know, you're you not breaching consent. And, you know, it's like, that's fine. You, you do you. That's cool. I think if you're in an intimate relationship and you're keeping parts of yourself... Hidden, um, you know, I have questions about whether that's good for you. And I mean, it's you know, it could be your porn use. It could be your use of sex workers. I mean, I, I you know, for me, I don't see, see there's a lot of difference between those kinds of activities and this kind of activity, where you, you're not being able to be honest with yourself and, and, and with people who are important to you. And you know, I, I, I certainly have questions about whether that's a good good way to live your life in the in the long term. But I also want to acknowledge, you know, just how much. Fear, judgment, you know, ignorance there is out there and, you know, you've got to be careful with your own safety.
3: Alex talked about in a future relationship when he thought that he'd found someone he wanted to be with that he would love to be open mm. about this. So
4: mm.
3: are there any pointers you'd have about how to go about that?
1: Uh, I think, you know, when you're talking with someone about something that you can expect that they might see as a threat to the relationship, you know, starting by saying, I love you, I want to be with you, I want to tell you something about me because, you know, I want our relationship to be solid and I want you to know, you know, what I'm really like and who I really am. And I'm doing that for our relationship because I want to be with you. Right? you know, so, the, so that your intention is really clear before you give the information. I mean, it's not, gonna make, it's not a magic wand to make, make everything go right, but I think sometimes people, you know, when, they have, when they're anxious about giving information, they blurt the information out without any context, and, you know, their partners don't know what to do with that.
3: So obviously we've heard from Alex, but the partners that Nick just mentioned we haven't heard from and we couldn't even if we wanted to because this happens in secret. So the women are often cast in a role that they didn't even know they were auditioning for. If you have experiences that are related to Alex's story but maybe show a different perspective you can email bang at radio We're going to come back to Nick and Lena again after this next story.
0: Eddie is a was flatting with a friend of mine, and so I met him through that, and we sort of hung out a little bit. We This is Linda went to Rugby World
3: Cup. We met through a Facebook what, like, group, but this is the first time we've ever we've seen each other, other face to face. I'm sitting in her lounge in Auckland sipping a cup of herbal tea with her and her partner, Eddie, who first met six yeah, years ago.
0: This is the part I really hate. It's an embarrassingly romantic story, and I hate that kind of stuff, but um, <laughs> we... I was, like, on a long-distance hike, and then I came back from my friend's wedding, our mutual friend, and uh, I was a bridesmaid, and he was a groomsman, and you can fill in the blanks. <laughs> and then, so I went back on my hike, but after another week, I decided that I would come back for him, because I thought maybe it was the start of something special. Uh. And it
3: was. <laughs> and <laughs> it was. And yeah, we here we are so. now. <laughs> Have you got a different Linda time? Jane and Eddie see themselves as really compatible. Neither of them are overly dramatic. They share a similar sense of humor. In fact, they tell me that she's the pun one and he's not and that every relationship needs a pun one and a not pun one, which is definitely true for my relationship. 2 years ago they had a son. And though they do sometimes get grumpy at each other, even this huge change hasn't really shaken them up which any parent will tell you is a real testament to their strengths.
4: In terms of th- yeah, things like having a toddler or moving house or whatever the horrible thing is at the time, it's often, I don't know, it kind of feels like us against the thing, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's us kind of, we're struggling together, but we're working against something together, not we're both, at, not against each other. Mm. And not
4: against the toddler. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. He's not one of the things. He's part of the team, <laughs> mostly. But mostly. Wow. One thing
3: Linda-Jane and Eddie seem really proud of is how well they communicate and how open they are with each other. Especially seeing this openness hasn't always come naturally, at least to Linda-Jane.
0: In the past i found it really hard to open up with partners or even friends. I just haven't been very open or find it easy to say what I'm feeling. But um, over time with Eddie I've really, really opened up more because I feel so comfortable with him. I'm really happy to talk to him about whatever I'm feeling and what's going on and what I need or, what I, or even what I think that he needs um, yeah. <laughs> for things to move on, move forward or, you know, improve.
4: Yeah, I, we could always talk to each other, even mm. from the beginning. Mm. And that's strengthened as time goes on because now we have six years of history of...
0: Well, I think if you want to compare how we talk, well we talk to each other now to at the beginning, I used to say things like, I really want to tell you something but I'm just struggling to right now and then I'll spend like half an hour not saying something really basic and totally inconsequential um, because it was just hard for me to get those things out but now I just say them so freely and he probably say that I talk too much about everything.
4: <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that on the radio.
0: <laughs> because
3: they are so open, they've been able to talk about some really tricky things. The kinds of things that Alex dreams about one day being able to share with the person that he loves. So you want to tell me like... Why I'm here,
0: (laughs) aside from to enjoy a cup of tea with a lovely couple. Okay, so I guess in my recent adult life, I have come to feel like I identify with being queer. I grew up in a very, I wouldn't say especially traditional household, but it was just the default was that people were heterosexual and it just never occurred to me to consider anything else. So even when I thought as a teenager that I found women attractive, I didn't really... And connect that to perhaps being bisexual or queer. Yeah, more recently, I've sort of been feeling stronger about it, I guess, and mm. feeling more like I identify with that. And that's a part of me that has sort of been hidden away. Maybe there was no particular um, moment of discovery. Waking up <laughs> suddenly, I realised I queer. had. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really happen. No, yeah, no moment, but just I guess a slow inkling, thinking about it more and more, and then because it's so easy for me to talk to Eddie about my feelings and things that I'm thinking about that, that will come up and we just talk about it now and then, I think, well, I'm actually really interested in women as well. Like, how would you feel about if I, you know, sort of got involved with a woman in some way? What, you know, how would you feel about that? And is that a thing I could do? How would I go about doing that? Nobody even knows that I like women. <laughs> what do you even do? It's important to say that this revelation
3: didn't come out of the blue for Eddie. When she was in her 20s, Linda Jane slept with a woman, though at the time she just saw it as a fun experience and not like a clue to the greater puzzle of her sexuality.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed that. I'd like to do it again. I felt like, as my my first experience with a woman and her not, um, that I was entirely inadequate <laughs> and had no idea what I was doing. And
3: so by the time Linda Jane and Eddie got together, Eddie already knew about
0: all of this.
4: Her interest in women had already come up and it had been part of her... For most, if not all, of our relationship. Mm. And it was just a kind of. At some point, it got an official statement.
3: I imagine in a lot of previously or surface level heterosexual relationships, this kind of thing could be quite threatening. Did you ever feel your relationship threatened by this?
4: Uh, I really didn't. I think because it's first come up as. I mean, it's, it's a hypothetical discussion that may lead into a real thing that there's no threat in the sense of I don't feel like I'm going to be cheated on I don't feel like anything's going to be taken away from me anything that happens will be kind of discussed and I would feel differently if it was another guy I don't know quite what that comes from and I worry there's some kind of horrible societal conditioning in the base of my brain there that makes that a different thing that a guy would be a threat in a way a woman isn't Mm. and I'm not 100% sure what that comes from
0: you haven't picked that apart yet?
4: Not to any kind of resolution, no.
0: I could see maybe that you would... Be- I don't know, maybe this isn't true, but I can imagine that you might feel more threatened if I said, actually, I'm not into monogamy. I think that I identify as polyamorous and I would like to have a lot of partners. I think that you... I feel that you would might feel threatened by that.
4: Yeah, quite possibly.
0: <sighs> well, there's so many hypotheticals here, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So much about myself, I don't even know. Like Maybe I would start a relationship with a woman and realise, oh, I love having two partners. This is awesome. And then Eddie's like, I don't know that that's really what I signed up for. These things are all... You don't know what's going to happen until you're in the situation and how you're going to feel until those things um, are happening. So I think maybe that is potentially a threat because you have no idea how things are going to pan out.
4: Possibly. But I think, at least at the moment, I feel like nothing has blindsided me in this relationship. We talk about everything which is happening or could happen or because we're so open I feel like I haven't felt threatened at any stage and I feel like I won't in the future because I'm not going to be blindsided in the future either Mm. whatever happens in the future we will talk about it we'll discuss it as it happens or even as just the possibility comes up and we'll deal with it when it happens we'll deal with it
3: so where would you say you're at now with all of this? Is it still just a fun thing to talk about? Or are you it's sad? a
0: fun thing to talk about that I think I would like to explore, but I think the logistics and how you actually go about it, how do you make that work in your normal everyday life where in uh, what's observed as a monogamous relationship between the two of us, we have a child together, Like I don't know how you would go about finding somebody in a way that's not weird and awkward. Yeah, I wonder about this too like just going to bars and like creeping on people. I don't want to be that person who goes to a gay bar and they're like oh, there's the straight couple hanging out like, what are they doing here? You don't belong. And that's the other thing about wanting to sort of feel like I identify as queer. I feel like I don't belong in that space. Like I haven't been in a situation where I've experienced prejudice or judgement against my sexuality because I don't wear it on my sleeve and it's not something people know about me. Um, So I've never had to fight for that or suffer because of it and I feel that that's a space that other people have really worked hard towards to be in and have had experiences that are not necessarily very positive and that I'm kind of butting in like it's it's cool to be queer now and I want to be in your group. Um, It feels like I'm cheating in a way like, oh yeah, I'm queer but nobody really knows it that you're
3: obviously dealing with everything that's happening now really openly, and it, it doesn't seem like it's manifesting as a difficult time, but it is a tra- like a transition or a crossroads or something like that. Regardless, do you see yourselves as having a long, happy future together?
0: That's what I like to imagine. Like, I yeah. see we work really well together, and I yeah, I think that we will be a lot together f- for a long time, if not forever. Like,
4: And certainly that hasn't changed with our relationship is still our relationship and we maybe have a better understanding of who you are, but that doesn't change. Certainly doesn't feel, change how I feel about you.
3: I'm joined again by Nick and Lena Bates. Guys, what are your first thoughts about this couple? I loved
5: it. <laughs> I loved it.
3: That understanding that,
5: his partner, she's not going to go and do anything that they haven't talked about beforehand. And I think that is the main thing, that it's going to be able to let you sleep at night, trust your partner. You know, there can be ups and downs and and, um, complications, but if you know that there isn't hiding and lying and you're not about to be blindsided... That makes a l- everything easier.
1: I mean, my first reaction was if everybody was like this couple, I'd be out of a job. <laughs> it was one, I mean, you know, it's really wonderful modeling of, of how a couple can really talk about anything. But the, the, the important thing is that it's talked about ahead of time. You know, Edie was kind of saying, you know, if I know about it ahead of time, if I can, you know, think about it and, you know, it's not going to blindside me, then I can kind of deal with it. And in my experience, that's mostly, you know, uh, the way things go.
3: What about the things that she um, brought up that are those things that, even if you're going in with a lot of openness and communication, can still kind of blindside you unintentionally as in like developing feelings for another person that you've, you know, been interacting with outside of your marriage.
1: Well, that can happen to people in all kinds of contexts, actually. You know, you can make friends with a colleague at work and start developing feelings for them. You know I don't know you support them through a difficult time with the death of their mother you know I mean, it's not it's not erotic, but all of a sudden you realize that there's a there's a real warmth in this, in that relationship and you start to have you know you start have sexual feelings it's like okay, what am I going to do with that
5: it's funny i in my previous relationship what i'd always say to him was, "I trust you to know if you're being honest with yourself about what you're doing you know I, I trust you when you're interacting with a female that you know if it's crossing lines. And and with you developing feelings for someone, you know, in that situation at work, maybe you developing the feelings hopefully won't be the thing that is, you know, going to cause so much issue. It's if you know that and you continue to cultivate that relationship and that conversation isn't being had with your immediate partner.
3: In our emails about this, you use the term, Nick, healthy, consensual, non-monogamy. Do you want to... Maybe just elaborate on what the term means.
1: Uh, it, it very much is, is back to this whole notion of talking about things and you know and getting consent about well how how do we want to be? I mean, a there's been a lot of non you know non consensual non monogamy mm. throughout history. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's true. So this is this seems like a preferred option to that.
5: Yeah, and to do with the uh, non consensual non monogamy, I had a. Really interesting conversation a few months ago with a dear friend about how everyone has different notions of what being faithful means. Mm. So even if ten couples are all saying they're monogamous, because we don't talk about okay, what does monogamy mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want my partner to spoon someone else, but maybe my partner's fine with me spooning someone else. Or that even watching pornography. Ex- or exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. A so so to outside. assume that monogamy is this one thing. Again, it's not. Like, you Mm. can say you're monogamous, but that has different boundaries for absolutely everyone.
1: Yeah, and that's part of a bigger issue that that actually we don't get taught, what's crucial is to realize that boundaries actually need exploration and discussion mm. and negotiation in a relationship. And that's just part of the work you've got to do. Mm. Um, but typically we discover that by, you know, we go into a relationship with my assumption that, well, what, what, I, you know, what I think is normal. And if you do something different, you know, you've broken a boundary. So there is definitely a move to this notion of consensual non-monogamy to, to kind of acknowledge, look, for a, a lot of people they uh, they're going to struggle to stay in you know committed to one person sexually for the whole you know for a really long time and don't forget we've got this whole thing that our lifespans are you know double what they used to be so you know it's True. it's really you know in, it's a lot um, more
3: sex with one person
1: it's a lot more sex with one person
3: okay so before we go any further there's something that I haven't told you yet you know that Facebook thread where I first met Linda Jane I started it. It's in this amazing group that I'm part of that's basically for creative mothers. And it is the kind of place where you can leave a message, any message, asking if other women are feeling the way that you are. So I asked, is there anyone here who feels like they don't have a 100% handle on their sexuality or that they're not as straight as they always thought they were? It's probably the most popular Facebook thread that I've ever started. Right now, there are 150 comments on it mostly from women who, like me, are married or who are in long-term heterosexual relationships and, since having kids, have become aware of the fact that they're also attracted to women. One woman on the thread called it the gay awakening. Now, this might be news to you. It definitely felt like news to me, but it ain't news to Nick.
1: I mean, it's um, it's certainly something that I have encountered and I, I think... Um, Again, I, I kind of wonder if it's not more about the, the removal of kind of um, fear about sort of social judgment and so forth as women, or well, I mean, as people mature, they kind of care less about that. And I think sometimes, you know, um, uh, uh, for women, you know, motherhood really brings them into their own power. I mean, not for everyone by any manner or means, but for a lot of women, I think they do.
5: Yeah, I found it really interesting that you said it was a lot of women in their thirties after having children. Because yeah, it made me think that you know these specific cultural narratives we're given about you finding a man and you having children. It's like, cool, I've ticked that box. Like no one's, dun, dun, dun. you know, like well, let's not, not only yeah, not only that they've come to maturity, but. they don't have this anxiety that maybe they looked at men their whole life. They weren't even looking at women because they had so much anxiety about not fulfilling that
3: cultural narrative. Of course we can't make too many generalisations based on a Facebook thread, but there is science that backs this up.
1: This uh, psychologist, Meredith Chivers, did this um, fabulous uh, experiment—it's well, ongoing, a series of experiments—where she um, got people into a lab and hooked up a device that measured blood flow into, if it was a woman, their vagina; um, man, and his penis. So, this kind of, you know, objective physiological measure of arousal, and then showed them a whole bunch of different videos—you know, man masturbating, woman masturbating, uh, heterosexual couple having sex a gay male couple gay female couple i think a um, uh, naked man exercising naked woman exercising and also blah, blah, chimpanzees having sex and uh, asked people, uh, they had a little keyboard, they could enter their subjective level of arousal while they were watching all these different movies. But of course, the actual physical arousal was being uh, measured. And what uh, they found was that uh, straight men were aroused by the predictable things, which was heterosexual sex and lesbian sex. Uh, gay men, uh, you know, again, the same. And, and their subjective arousal m- uh, matched their, um, their actual arousal. Right? So they they knew they were, they knew they were turned on, you know, what they were turned on by. But with the women, they were turned on by everything, including everybody talks about the bonobo uh, chimpanzees mm. thing. It's, it's kind of been known by that, that result, that, yeah. that women get turned on by watching uh, chimpanzees have sex. The follow-up research that she did to this was she was able to demonstrate that their awareness of their, of their arousal was very much dependent on what they thought was socially acceptable and that when that door was opened, then they became better at tracking what was actually going on for them.
3: There's something that Linda Jane brought up about not feeling queer enough for queer spaces. Mm. Mm. And I know that this is a thing, not feeling queer enough for queer spaces or straight enough for straight spaces, this idea of kind of bisexual erasure. And she feels like she's taking up space from other people. What, yeah. what is your reaction to that?
5: Well, it's so valid and, and I hear it and see it a lot in all sorts of communities. I mean, she doesn't have to say it to anyone if she doesn't want to. That's completely fine. But she's also totally valid saying that. She's not going up and taking resources from, like, you know, queer, gender minority charities, you know? She's just talking to her friends and loved ones. And if anything, by her saying that, the person who could have been, you know, having issues with it now has a person, oh, I know you're safe to talk to. So so I understand that feeling of not being queer enough, but... If, if you can get over that, you're really doing everyone a service because you can't tell from how someone looks what, what they like.
3: Lena, I'm wondering, you know, it seems like there's a big difference between the ways that young people felt they could express themselves in terms of gender and sexuality now than, say, 10 or 20 years ago. There's a wider, more general acceptance. I've done a couple of interviews where people are like, all the kids are bi now, which I know (laughs) is a gross
4: generalisation. But
3: but from the outside, what may look like everyone's bisexual now, it's more likely that actually wider societal acceptance means people are Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. People aren't like suddenly yeah exactly but I
5: think you know we're also we don't live in a vacuum from when you're born you know you get told oh where's your girlfriend when you're like a four-year-old boy so you know we can't know what it would be like if that wasn't a thing you Mm -hmm. know perhaps we all are but you know (laughs) we've just got to negotiate what we've got
3: That's it from us. Don't forget, if you're in Auckland, you can head to iticket.co.nz and book a seat for the Bang live show. It's on July 10th at the Basement Theatre, and I am really excited. I can't wait to see you there. If this episode brought up some questions for you, don't forget every week after Bang goes to air on RNZ National, we are live in Nights with Brian Crump, answering as many questions as we can alongside a sex therapist or other relevant expert. So if there's something you want addressed, email me at bang at radionz.co.nz or record a question using the RNZ Voxpop app and tune in on Wednesday, June 13th at 9.30pm to get some answers. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, and engineered by William Saunders. The executive producer was Tim Watkin. Next week, are real men going extinct? What even is a man anymore? I'm going to head out and get some answers.